Welcome to Cinema Chop Shop. Watch. Chop. Retrofit. Welcome to Cinema Chop Shop. We are back from hiatus, yes? I guess. I hope you enjoyed the interlude with our interview with uh, Kevin Smokler, the uh, Who's my BFF, by BFF, the way? Your BFF, yeah, the co-director of Vinyl Nation. Uh, if you haven't seen it yet, we heartily recommend it, and we hope you enjoyed that episode. But uh, we're back, and uh, we're back in the shop. We've gotten the cobwebs literally off the floor and out of the way and uh we're back at it so uh welcome and thank you for joining us and being with us i'm your co-host the brew boss sean <laughs> and wow. i'm joined here with my co-host chelsea aka the regulator fuck you well i didn't know if you wanted to be the regulator anymore because you're now... well that's what my twitter handle says and i don't want my bff to lose me okay gotcha and then we're very very pleased to be joined with one of the mainstay staples of cinema chop shop Joy Pool. Thank you, thank you, thank you. So when we ended up uh, the uh, the season um, with Travis, we did say that we were going on hiatus and we were going to retool the Cinema Chop Shop format. And today is kind of our first kind of dipping the toe in the water, if you will, of uh, what we're trying to do. Uh, we want to kind of do more deep dives into film and genres and kind of look under the hood of what makes some of them work and even some of those that didn't work and get into the things that we would improve or how we would approach them differently or even just kind of look at the ones that are just gleaming examples of what's really well done and talk about you know the things that we truly enjoyed and kind of you know look at them from multiple angles and get multiple perspectives from our guests and just kind of have fun with it that way. Now, granted, we're still in beta. Yeah, this is a beta, beta test. It really is. So if it sucks and you hate it, let us know. But if you like it, do please let us know as well. We're here today to talk about two films. And uh, they are both of the same name, Nightmare Alley. The first film was uh, released in 1947. And the other one was released in 2021. Uh, both films are based on the novel Nightmare Alley. Chelsea, I believe you've done some back research about that that you'll talk about later. I will. Uh, but uh, in short, it's uh, set in 1940s New York. Uh, a down-on-his-luck character named Stanton Carlyle. Um, he kind of joins up with the carnival. And differently in both films, which we'll get into, but he ultimately endears himself to a clairvoyant and her husband, who's his kind of her assistant, and kind of wedges his way into learning the craft of their trade and their uh, methods and very soon kind of takes those things that he learned and takes the show on the road and just kind of climbs the uh, the ladder of the social elite and bites off more than he can chew. The original was released in 1947, as I said earlier, directed by Edmund Goulding. It stars Tyrone Power, who was a kind of a Saturday matinee idol type character. And this was a role that he really wanted because it let him kind of stretch his uh, his persona and how people perceived him. He wanted some serious roles. Well, it kind of his story sort of reminds me of like Disney starlets where they're like, I'm not a little kid anymore. I'm a grown ass adult <laughs> and I want these roles. And that's kind of his mindset going into this. I want to shed this 
you know, whitewashed good guy, like mm -hmm. I can do no wrong persona. Yeah. I have more to me than that. Let me do it. Yeah. And he was really a huge backer as to why this got made. Right. And, you know, these days they would just go full frontal and do, you know, released pics. Probably pretty shocking to audiences who knew him in his uh, regular persona to see him in this movie uh, playing completely against cast, too. Absolutely. Against his typecasting. Totally. For sure. Also in that cast was uh, Joan Blondell. She played the clairvoyant, uh, great actress, uh, wonderful career. Colleen Gray, Helen Walker. And interestingly enough, you've got three women right off the bat who are in the top billing in terms of characters. The movie was released to mixed reviews and as a result it was a box office flop for 20th Century Fox. However, it was pretty quickly realized this movie's better than it was received and uh, kind of gained not only just cult status, but kind of that this is a true gem that people will appreciate down the road. And Joey, you were just saying uh, before the show that, and I like you, I didn't really know about this movie until just recently. I, it wasn't on my radar at all. I think if you count this as a, as a film noir, which I do, despite the fact that it doesn't have the typical film noir subject matter, although at it, its heart, it's, it's black. So it is definitely, I think, would qualify. It's in the rarefied air of some of the best movies, uh, noir movies of the era. But it's not one that I'd even ever heard of until randomly stumbling onto it maybe two years ago. I think when Criterion put it on the Criterion channels when I first saw it. Same for me. And uh, it was, I mean, just blew me away. It's a great movie. Well, I think what happened with this movie was the book was written in 1946 and released then. And the movie very quickly after because Power was really on board with this. He was like, I need this. We need to make this. I want to be a part of this. And then when he died in the 50s, it was re-released and it got a little bit better review and people were like, oh yeah, this is great. This is awesome. But I think we're all kind of too far removed from that to hear about it. Right. I'd be curious to know, and I haven't read the book and we were talking before recording, you said you want to read it. Uh, I'll, it's on my to read pile too. And I'm dying to know which one of the two versions that we're going to talk about today is more true to the book itself oh don't worry i have i haven't you, read it but i've done some research okay, i can so tell you have you. that answer for yeah. me okay good awesome so the next film was released in 2021 and it was directed by the great guillermo del toro uh oscar winning director a uh, huge cult following as well as a huge mass following as well also has a really widely varied uh a filmography that runs the gamut from Kronos and Pan's Labyrinth to Pacific Rim. Yeah, and one thing that Guillermo does very well is that he he does a great job of making the grotesque look exquisite mm -hmm. on film. And we'll get into that as well a little bit later with this film. He had an opportunity to kind of showcase what he's all about and really get into his sweet spot that um, wasn't necessarily part of the original film. So the 2021 version uh, got a box office of $39.6 million. Pretty decent return, especially in 2021. We're talking post-pandemic, so, you know, that's pretty good. This uh, had to have been one of the first big feature films back in real theaters, right? I think you're correct on that count. This one stars Bradley Cooper as the uh, character of, of Stanton Carlisle. 
and he is joined by Kate Blanchett, who plays uh, the Doctor Lilith. Doctor Lilith Ritter, and uh, she enjoyed an expanded role in this version over the 1947 release. Also starring the great Tony Collette as the clairvoyant. David Stathern plays uh, Pete, the um, the husband of the clairvoyant. Underrated character actor, but that guy. Fantastic. Oh, he's so good. And then, of course, uh, we have uh, Rooney Mara playing the role of Molly. I have so many problems with that. (laughs) So why don't we jump right in and talk about these characters and the modern day actors versus the uh, 1947 actors? Who brought them more to the table? What performances did you enjoy? What stood out to you in those regards? (sighs) All right. Well, Joey, I'm going to answer your question throughout the podcast because there's stark differences between all three of them. One of them, and this is why I'm super excited to read this book, Stan in the book, after all of this stuff goes down, before he really descends just into darkness, becomes a reverend and starts a church. Oh. None of the movies touch that. Okay. None of them. But, like, his equivalent to becoming a reverend would be, like, us, I guess, going online to be ordained as a minister. Like, it, it was a little bit shady, but he did legitimately start a church. And people, How like, followed him. How sincere is the transformation? Because there's a thin line between televangelist, traveling preacher, and what Stan does for a living. The oh, no, he's still, he is still a con artist. Okay, okay. For sure, under that guise. And I'm, I'm curious how that would have played out in a movie but i understand why directors don't want to touch it because it's pretty polarizing but that's one clear difference where i'm like wow stan is clearly way more effed up than anybody thought well i was going to say that and this goes back to the the casting as well but one of the things that del toro tries to do with the extra 45 minutes of runtime it's a much longer film is give almost every character, with one major exception, which I'll leave to Chelsea since she's excited about that, (laughs) Uh, but almost every major character gets way more backstory and is arguably more complex a character than in the original, which I think is mostly successful, but falls flat in one particular area, which I'll talk about later. With who? I think that the psycho and psychoanalysis uh, scenes yeah, okay. Perfect. Uh, that between and Kate Blanchett's great in the role. Don't get me wrong, and I like that that role is expanded. But in the original, there are no psycho and psychoanalysis scenes between Stan and Lilith. Is her name? Yeah. Uh, and to me, it just seems kind of hackneyed in the original, and it's an attempt to get them on screen together more because their their chemistry, admittedly, well, they is wanted great. more screen time for uh, Bradley Cooper, mm-hmm. and that definitely offered that. Yeah, but the scenes themselves, that to me, there would have been more, a better way to to beef up that character. That to me is the only real flaw in the original version. Every other attempt that Del Toro and the writing staff tried to do to increase all the backstory on all the characters and make them more complex, I think, with that exception, work. So, based on what I found out about the book, which is why I think you'll be excited to read it, is both movies really fall short on that, especially with Lilith and Stan, the character development. Mm-hmm. Like it. it it's not there. Lilith and his sessions become a little bit more apparent within the book to the point where she shows or references like his chart 
which indicate that he has sort of a personality disorder, but like detailed notes about it because they've had many. Mm -hmm. I don't know exactly how it starts. I haven't read the book yet. I just watched a YouTube video from the most adorable creator I've ever seen in my life. Her channel is called Why the Book is Better. Check her out. Why She's the Book cute. is Better. It sounds cute. like it's right up your alley. Dude. She's so it does. It's right up your nightmare alley. <laughs> you mentioned the, the expansion, and, and I'm sure the book does go into a little bit more detail. But Oh, in, wait, wait, wait. Sorry. Why the Book Wins. Why the Book Wins. Sorry. Okay. I knew I was saying it wrong. No, it's okay. The Stanton Carlisle character in the 1947 version, we kick off the movie and he basically rolls right into the carnival because he was born for the carnival. That's exactly what his role in life is. And for a, a snappy film, especially a film noir where, where you, you kind of have these glossed over character sketches, uh, it works. In the Del Toro version, we have this backstory about the uh, the father, the mm. floorboards, the the burning house as kind of this motivation that this guy's got a dark history and then he kind of rolls into town and he sort of kind of surveils the carnival you know and learns about the geek beforehand and then decides to throw his hat in the ring which one of those stories for you in film works better i think you could argue for me i think you could make an argument for either one of them i think that the stanton in the del toro version in 2021 is more complex and has more of a backstory for better and for worse um it it's it's part of what makes the the new version tries to very consciously i think muddy the water the moral waters a little bit uh stanton is not i wouldn't say likable in either one of them but he's more of a true villain in the in the remake um and the most interesting change to me though wasn't with him it was with the character uh with pete because in the original Pete is very prickly. He's jealous. He kind of sniffs out Stan, you know, ang aiming at his woman the entire time. He doesn't want to give him the secret to he's the code. He's very secretive about the code. In the second, in the in the remake, he's more of a father figure almost. Um, you nailed it. Absolutely. Which is weird because Stanton has killed his actual father, um, which makes it even more morally ambiguous when Stanton may or may not have intentionally given him the hot shot with the, uh, the, the bottle of whiskey that was the, whatever, the flames, the fire starter whiskey instead of real whiskey. Okay, I think you've touched on a couple of things here. So in the book and the 2021 remake, they allude to Stan's mom has sort of left. But in the movie, that's not made entirely clear. But I think... And again, I have not read the book, so I don't know entirely. But I think um, Guillermo took some liberties with developing this relationship because I don't think Stan is angry with his dad as much as he's angry with his mom, mm -hmm. which really translates into why women are props for him. They're accessories. It's like, what new... He's a man, so what new watch can I wear today? It's very much how he treats them. Mm -hmm. Which I think is really interesting because that actually plays into the, the noir aspect of this movie where you have three femme fatales, essentially, and in the end, he gets out-conned by all three of them. So it kind of feeds into that message. But how does he get out conned by Molly? Um, she's, well, last man standing, especially in, um, 
especially in the newer version, because she's instrumental in scooping him back up and bringing him into the fold with the carnival, where he ultimately becomes the geek. She also becomes a savior in the original, too, when he becomes the geek at the end of the film. Um, she comes in to save the day, and there's the implication that she's going to save him from that life. Well, and that's kind of the problem, because the whole reason that they put that in, because it's not in the 2021, it's not in the book, the studio was like, oh, this movie's really sad. We need to not have like this sad ending. Yep. And it's such... <sighs> It's such a bullshit play on this weakness on women. Mm -hmm. And fuck her, she would not do that. Especially <laughs> the Molly in that version, that mm -hmm. forty, the 1947 one. No fucking way. Yeah, she was a bit of a badass. Absolutely not. Um, yeah, she'd been putting up with uh, one weak man for her, basically his entire life and Pete. I mean, taking care of him, literally. And then she ends up doing the same thing with Stanton after he basically is... Which sold her down the river. is sort of interesting to think about because in the remake, she's not with Pete. She's with Bruno, who is kind of dumb, but like physically on the outside is the strong, you know, the strong man. Yes. There's more of that relationship in the remake than there is in the original. And, and also in the remake, um, you know, Bruno's played by the great, why is his name escaping me? Ron Perlman. Thank yes. you. And he physically holds the family together and, and that i think was effective very well done by del toro because visually communicating that role w w was spot on um let's talk about the geek for a second because we've already mentioned it a few times we've given away the ending spoilers well we always do <laughs> but hey <laughs> sorry the it's a companion piece to the movie you should watch the movie first <laughs> i know right you're you still are missing a ton i think if you're listening to this podcast you probably have seen this movie otherwise you wouldn't have <laughs> keyed in on it and said i want to learn about this movie i haven't seen you mentioned in the original film some of the the, the happy ending you know that was that that was a, a very rough point in historical context you know this was at the height of the Hayes code so there were a lot of things they could not do with the geek that had to be um hinted at you know they could only tease about the the, the grotesquerie in terms of what was really going on then i mentioned del toro you know being a master of of making the grotesque exquisite this is where he really got to flex his muscles quite a bit in terms of showing some of that nastiness and the brutality and savagery not only what was going on physically with the the chickens and all that stuff but also the manipulation that was happening at the hands of the the carnival uh guy that's a significant narrative difference in the two as well because in the first uh movie i think clem i think is the um yes the name of the the head head of the carnival yep he explains how how a geek comes to be through alcohol problems and and whatnot but in the remake Clem, as played by Willem Dafoe, in a typically creepy turn, <laughs> uh, very consciously creates the geek by manipulating... And spiking with opium. Exactly. Well, and that's why I think, at the end of the day, the remake is sort of geared towards more of our modern times and is actually a take on the opioid crisis, for sure. Yeah. Because in the book... And in the original, no, we don't see the geek biting the head off the chicken. Mm -hmm. But in the book, it's explained the geek doesn't actually bite the head off the chicken. They use a razor. Mm -hmm. And I don't know what is more fucking horrific. <laughs> Having, like, 
at least a little bit of knowledge knowing I can't fucking bite the head off this chicken or just doing it. And I'm sort of curious if del Toro read this book and was sort of playing on that a little bit because it was really graphic in that, but I'm really struck by that. Well, you mentioned, you know, the, the, the opium in the original, uh, you know, Tyrone powers Stanton, he kind of, uh, deteriorates into the geek over, over a sequence of events and he's made to choose his doom. Whereas in the newer version, it's like, Bradley Cooper didn't really have a choice because mm-hmm. bam, <laughs> you wake up and I'm the geek. He becomes, there's this like sense of self-loathing too. He becomes this, this thing that he was trying to escape. Mm-hmm. Um, and it is inevitable, but I think in, on some level, the character feels as if he deserves it. Yeah. Um, because he's done so many horrible things over the course of the film, slightly different in both versions. He's, uh, you know, he's used Molly He's manipulated these poor people who are just looking for try to get in touch with their loved ones who aren't nearly as sympathetic in the in the remake either. Mm-hmm. He's you know everything that he's done with 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 Molly and then the Pete thing too, which is to me a huge huge sin because especially in 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 the remake Pete didn't deserve that. You could argue that the Pete character in the original sort of deserved his fate and Stanton just happened to be the one to hand it to him. But in the the newer movie with the exception of Molly, Pete is probably the only truly sympathetic character. I mean, he's a fuck up, he's a drunk, sure, but like he's one of the purest souls in a movie that doesn't have many pure souls. Well, and Stan sort of bringing the wood alcohol to him is supposed to be incidental in all of them. And I'm not sure it translates that way. It does to some people just based on some of the research. There seems to be like in the original, there's some ambiguity about whether he meant to do it or not. Well, and that's what's in the book. He just brought it to him because he was more focused on, I need to figure out this code. Mm -hmm. But wood alcohol, welcome to chemistry class. Uh Oh, here we go. (laughs) Does anybody know what wood alcohol is? I'm going to say not as, no. Okay, so essentially you're drinking methanol. It's not so dangerous just drinking methanol. It's what happens when your body metabolizes it. So it's going to fuck up your eyes, and it takes little as like 10 milliliters, which is not a lot, less than like a cup. And you'll go blind because it fucks with your nervous system. But what happens in your body is it turns it into formaldehyde, and then from there it turns it into formic acid. Which um, is not super fun, but like apparently during the prohibition stage, the government was trying to curb people from drinking. They'd spike alcohol with methanol, like intentionally poisoning people. And like senators were like, this is just, you know, excused murder. This is fucked because if you get too much of it, there's no coming back from it or you'll go blind. Most likely even a little bit, you'll go blind. For sure. I thought that was fucked. That is. Anyways, horrific death. Not fun. Continue. Well, I'm glad <laughs> I'm glad you brought this up. This is something I mentioned to Joey uh, last week, which was alcoholism and just generally alcohol consumption in, around this era. You were either a teetotaler or you were a blind drunk. It just, there, there's very... Hence where that fucking term came from. Thank you. 
but there's no there's very little middle ground on film uh, in Hollywood. If 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 somebody drank alcohol, that meant they were a violent person, a, 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 an irresponsible person who was going down a very bad path. I wonder how much of that has to do with cultural conceptions of alcohol and alcoholism at the time, or and how much of it is just lazy writing. Well, you know what I mean? Given a yeah, oh, this character's you know had this motivation as alcohol. So well, so the author of the book, he was not a carny. He was like a medic in one of the some war, some civil war. I can't remember which one. And he was talking to somebody who was a carny and told him this story about the geek. And it haunted him and he could not get rid of it. He was like, I have to write this down. I need to get this out of me. And this is where the book sort of came from. But he himself was an alcoholic. He was a habitual cheater. He was never content with where he was in life and tried to find sort of guidance on how to be better. And he sought it back in this day through religion, first of all, and therapy. And those two things sort of hearing this ring a little louder in my ears where I'm going, oh, shit, fuck, wow. He's painting these both as terrible, terrible fucking things. He also dabbled in Scientology and said, fuck that noise, I'm out. <laughs> wait, wait, how, how old is Scientology? L. Ron um, Hubbard, it'd be about the same time. The book came out in 46, and he lived afterwards. Oh, wow, I, I did not know it was that old. Oh, I thought yeah. it was a much younger religion. No, no, you should look into... Uh, the sea captain L. Ron Hubbard. Yeah, I, I knew the I know the the basic history of the religion, but I thought this is something that came about in like the sixties. I didn't realize it was no, no, no. Uh, oh wow, okay. Let's talk about then uh, some of these other characters in the film. We we, we touched on Pete. You know, uh, Pete was more secretive with the code. You, you mentioned Stather and Ed being more bubbly, more of a father figure, a mentor. Zena, the 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 clairvoyant. You know, I think that. Uh, the original was probably more serious about the tarot, about the mysticism mm -hmm. behind it. And it, so much so, and I don't know if Chelsea in the, uh, the review that you, that you heard on YouTube, um, the chapters in the book are laid out in the major arcana. So everything in the book is relevant to the tarot as well. So there is hmm. a, there's a certain, uh, tether from, you know, the 47 film in the, the book Whereas I don't know if you that plays as much in the new version. So she didn't touch on it a ton, but she did describe the, the Zena's character just in general being a little bit more developed and better and the way they treated all of that better in the 47 version. However, she loved Tony Collette as this character, but I mean, how can you be mad at Toni Collette? She can do no wrong, but I think she was sort of cheated in the remake. I think they could have explored that a lot more. The relationship between her and Stan was just sort of stepped on, and that was one of the things that I loved in the original. Yeah, 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 because there was a lot of sexual tension in the in the 47 version that did not come across in the 20. I think version. it's there in the book, but again, I'm speculating based off of a review like almost everybody with the notable exception of pete she's much less innocent in the remake than she was i think in the in the original yeah so let's talk about molly oh molly of course being the assistant to stan when they take the show on the road 
ably played in the original film. Um, she was the faithful assistant. She was there for him. She she was there to, to get the battle scars and, and learn the trade and, and, and just you know c- climb the ranks in, in the social echelon and stand shit all over her. And that's pretty much, that's the story. And in the new version, you have uh, Rooney Mara playing the role. And for my money, and, and I'm, I don't feel as strongly about Rooney Mara as Chelsea does, but for my money, I think that she was a bad, bad casting choice because she just did not have any of the charisma that the original did. It's not that I don't like Rooney Mara. I think she's a great actress. There's an, an innocence and a, I'm going to say this wrong, naivety naivety naivete yeah thank you about her that doesn't come across with rooney she's she's too hard she's too street smart i, I, I wonder don't how like it. i don't yeah i don't know how much of that to attribute i agree with you and i hadn't really thought about that until you said it but i do agree with you i don't know how much of that to attribute to the actress and how much of it to attribute to the way the character's written and handled but that is a certainly a valid. I just critique. felt like every time she was on screen in the twenty one version, that it just deflated the scene. Even the, even the big, um, the big uh, finale with the con. Oh shit! With, I'm gonna fuck your minds up about this. Okay, good, good, good. But but with you know the finale with the con with the ghost. I felt that she really sucked the life out of that scene. Whereas in the 1947 version, it was like, oh my God, they're fucking doing this to this man. And holy shit, what's going to happen? And I was really on the edge of my seat. But to be fair, I saw that version first. But still, the performance, I I definitely got it from her. Whereas Rooney Mara, I just kind of felt like she was going through the paces. And I don't. I did not feel any kind of chemistry between her and, and Bradley Cooper. No. Certainly not as much as there was between Bradley Cooper and Kate Blanchett. Correct. Absolutely. I agree. I feel like there's one other major plot variation that we haven't really touched on yet. And it's one that I have kind of mixed feelings about. Um, and it's the character of Ezra, who is the old man who becomes the unwilling dupe. Uh, near the end of the film in the original he is this very sympathetic character who's looking to find his daughters his uh his late daughter and in the ri- in the remake he's a terrible person he's like it's a capitalist that he's well he's a capitalist pig it's hinted at that he has perhaps raped and murdered young women who happen to re- resemble this lost daughter. Yeah. And so I have mixed feelings about it because on the one hand, it's a much more fully realized character than it is in the original. It's not nearly as cardboard and flat, but it also takes some of the sting out of what Stanton is doing to him because you can, you almost feel like he deserves it in some ways because he's such an asshole. And here's the thing. So I think his character in the remake is sort of a play on, um, Mrs. Peabody in the original Mm -hmm. and from the book because the judge and stuff, they don't exist in the book. Guillermo just said, fuck it. We're doing this. 
And I also think that they're kind of a play on that same thing. So she had a daughter that she lost. And um, in the 47 one, he sees her in one of his shows and he's like, your daughter's talking to me, blah, blah, blah. And, And he goes and like does a reading for her in the book, convinces her her house is haunted, tells her that she needs to like go to California and she ends up dying, but oh she changes her will to leave her house and everything to Stan. I sort of think that both directors pulled from that a little bit more. And it, apparently it goes more in depth in the book. And it's pretty f- fucking horrific what they've done to this lady. And I'm not sure that that would translate on film had you not explored that more but Mm -hmm. also you have all of these characters that you need to explore it'd be like a four hour movie yeah you said something and this is kind of out of order but you said something about the original and that is stan's mercenary attitude about just stepping on anybody that's in his way and basically stan is a narcissist Especially mm-hmm. in the 1947 version. Every, I disagree. You disagree. Hell yeah. I think that he is all about Stan and he's all about charming the pants off of people that will benefit him. And and he has the sole intent of, of, of climbing that ladder. And that ultimately is his downfall because he sees nothing but Stan. And I, think, I think Stan is probably more redeemable between all three of them. Again, haven't read the book just based on what I heard. I think Stan's more redeemable in the 1947 version than the other one. Okay. How so? I, so the relationship between him and Molly is not fucking romantic. It's fucks. And I think where you feel that way is because of Rooney Mara, because their chemistry and she's not so naive and she fights back a little bit more sort of fucks that and you lose that. And think of the character, not the actress, but the character from Miss Congeniality when she's asked, what's your ideal date? And she goes, April 6th or April 7th. Okay, think of that girl, that person playing that character Mm -hmm. and then replay Bradley Cooper in your mind and you're going, oh, fuck. So you're saying that Bradley Cooper is more of the narcissist. Well, not Bradley Cooper himself, but his... No, his character in that one for sure is. Okay. For sure. They made him too nice in the 47 one. Okay. Because that's the only version where him and Molly get married. Nowhere else do they get oh, married. Oh, that's right. Nowhere Good else point. do they get married. But Rooney Mara being so... She has resting bitch face. I'm sorry. She just does. <laughs> um, being that type of person and sort of fighting back that soon on and they're not married sort of speaks volumes when you put it into the context of that time, even separated now to 2022, wherever we are. Yeah, he's... Uh, so, just to be clear, your idea here is that in the remake, the Stanton character, Bradley Cooper's character, is less redeemable than the original. Yes. I think I agree with you, with one exception. The, what he does with the with Rooney Mara's character, with Molly, is, is reprehensible. What he does with Pete in the original is makes a little bit more sense than it does in, in the remake, which is it's wholly unforgivable because Pete is something of a sweetheart actually in the in the original. 
But then that's complicated a little bit by the Ezra character who's thoroughly reprehensible. But it is worth noting that in the remake, he murders that guy. And he murders the bodyguard too, right? Yes. Yes, he does. Whereas in the original, he basically just punches his way out of the situation and goes on the run. Well, in the book, he doesn't really murder anybody. He just sort of accidentally kills a cop on his descent somebody that's trying to arrest him for train hopping but this is why i say i think the book ties them both together and Mm -hmm. i think if you could marry the movies they would be great but again none of us have four hours to give to this character development because they are all so fucking complex so What's your bottom line as far as which is the better film? Shit, I don't know now. I got to read this book (laughs) because I'm sorry. There's so many things that I have found out about this book. Like, okay, here's where I fucking blow your minds. In the book, when they do, when Stan and Molly do the thing with Grindel, Stan convinces Molly to have sex with Grindel. Oh, Okay. Wait, wait, wait. As as Molly or as the lost? I don't know. It seems like it's after they're found out. After he kind of grabs her waist. And that fucking is haunting oh. me right now. I have to know what the shit has happened. Wow. that That's dark as shit. <laughs> that changes everything. That's a twist. <laughs> and um. why nobody played on this is fucking beyond me it makes sense they wouldn't have played on it in the 1947 version of course but but yeah the in a 2021 version that's not afraid of being salacious that that seems like that that is right for the picking with a del toro sensibility i know i mean that's some pan's labyrinth kind of feeling but i feel like he focused on uh lilith kate blanchett more than he did molly because he really brushed her under the rug but fucking knowing that shit this whole movie this whole all of this changes for me like that's dark that's fucking dark well joey raises the question about which movie do i like better you know he asked you and and that's ultimately where what we're trying to achieve here for for my money i think that this this uh forced expansion on uh lilith's character as much as i like kate blanchett i felt was unnecessary um, and in terms of how it works for the film, I think the hinted backstory about Bradley Cooper with the father and the floorboards and the fire was unnecessary. I don't think it served anything for me. I prefer personally a much snappier storyline, which is why the 47 version appeals to me. And ultimately, I think that's my favorite out of the two. If you give me the choice, which one I'm going to pick up and watch or look on my streaming services. Well, I mean, and, and... knowing that, like... Or not knowing about Grindel and Molly. Oh, God, haunted. I love that aspect about the original movie with Lilith. I love that she was so stealth. I know in the book they go into more depth about it. I know you kind of know what's going on, but I don't know the details of it, so I'm not I'm not sure. But I really did hate it in the remake because, especially in 1947, can you imagine a stealth woman that's like, Fuck all of you! I win. <laughs> it's it, it's a great motif in noir films where the femme fatale just kind of does that, and the the man who thinks he's the hot shot and he's got it all under control just gets completely steamrolled. 
Joey, it's on you now. Uh, as to the question of which is the better movie? Yeah. yeah. Uh, well, first of all, let me let me preface everything I'm going to say by saying they're both very damn good movies. They're both they really damn are. fine movies. I think that Del Toro attempts to improve upon and further develop a film which is almost flawless to begin with. And he does that on two fronts. One, stylistically. Um, it's just more lavish. There's that, and it's just dripping with like art deco opulence. It's a beautiful fucking movie, the 2021 version. Um, it's much more salacious in terms of the violence that's shown on screen. That's all part of just kind of the times. So stylistically, it's a wash. Um, the second thing he tries to do to improve upon it is to give almost every character more backstory and thereby sort of muddy the waters morally, so to speak. And on that front, I think it's somewhat mixed returns. Um, I don't mind Stanton's backstory with the father in the, in the original. I do agree with Sean that it's probably unnecessary. Um, I, I like what that Ezra is a much more well-developed character, but it also makes it less satisfying in some ways because he almost deserves what happens to him in the original which takes some of the heat off of Stan Molly as Chelsea handled earlier is much lesser of a character in this one so on most of the fronts I think the attempts at developing it further and improving it work pretty well but you might argue that it's a more emotionally complex movie but it's not as perfect a movie as the original i agree i think both directors were stuck and again have not read the book it's called why the book wins go to the youtube channel um the, this, the book is called nightmare alley i'm assuming well no 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 <laughs> but the review i listened to oh yeah yeah but because the... i have not read it and i'm i'm so curious now i think this book is just saturated with character development that mm. we are not privy to and even just based on some of the subtleties she said in her review I'm like holy shit I'm just wondering but what director could do that it reminds me of like people adapting Stephen King novels nine times out of ten they do not fucking work because he has so much goddamn detail with everything that you have this whole narrative and this whole world painted in your mind that nothing will match up to it. And I think they're both fighting against that. Speculation only, but (laughs) But I have one more mind fuck for you. Go for it. I'm still reading the book and I feel like anybody who loves these will still read the book after I tell you this. So in the book, Grindel doesn't die. Okay. As Stan is on his descent into geekhood he um finds out that grindel gets engaged to to molly no (laughs) to lilith what What? i know (laughs) (laughs) wow beyond that i don't know anything i'm so fucking curious now wow now I want to see uh, the the del toro part two version where it goes into that (laughs) The spirit. I do want to say for Del Toro, it takes a brass pair to remake a movie like this because it's one that is, it's a damn good movie to begin with. It's one that has achieved, if not 
legendary status, like a cult sort of status, and uh, it mostly succeeded, I think. Yeah, I think it, it does take a brass pair when you're, you're talking about film nerds like us. It, it does. Uh, for the public at large, I guarantee you that most people haven't seen True, that's true. So it's kind of a, a, a ripe for the picking kind of story for him to grab a hold of. And yeah, I, I don't want to sound like I'm knocking the 2021 version. I enjoyed it quite a bit, and it was good. I really liked several elements of it. And, you know, as I mentioned, Del Toro flexes his muscle <clears> on what <throat> he does best when he sees the opportunity. And and I and it wasn't in a shoehorn kind of way either. No. So I that, I and my hat's off to him, because it could have been very easy for him to kind of invent some other things that could have been more graphic that he didn't take the bait was so, you know, good on him for that. Well, yeah, with Lilith, especially just in the remake with Guillermo, I feel like he sort of foreshadowed what was going on in the book because she is the one that gets Stan to drink, like essentially sort of poisoning him. And I, I almost wonder if he saw her more as a villain than anyone else in this book. Because it seems like he doesn't have a shit ton of respect for Stan. Not really. Mm-hmm. He He's a narcissist who gets caught under his own ego at the end of it. But her, she's a little different. And mm-hmm. one another reason why I'm so curious to read the fucking book. But honestly, for me, I watched the original and then what? Like a week after I saw the remake... And I feel like that's how you should watch it because I think both movies have to be together. I really do. One last thing. Um, I think we're we're all pretty familiar with Del Toro's uh, filmography. And sorry, he's one of my favorite directors. You know, Kronos, The Devil's Backbone, Pan's oh, Labyrinth. Those else. are among my favorite movies. I don't know a whole lot about, uh, God, my mind just went totally went. The director of the original's name is Edmund. Edmund uh, Goulding. Goulding. Um, I look back over his filmography, and I think the only other film of his that I've seen was The Grand Hotel. Yeah. Uh, which didn't make a, a huge imprint on me, honestly. Mm-hmm. But I was curious if y'all had seen um, any the rest of his movies. Grand and, Hotel got an Oscar, yes. I don't know. It's early. It's like 1934. Yeah, maybe 32. Yeah. I haven't seen anything by him, but also like I sort of take some fault or blame off of him because he's sort of a product of his time and the studio's like, you can't show this shit because there's other shit in the book that gets way more graphic, especially with Grendel. FYI, I won't tell you. But he has to conform, like making Stan and Molly get married not yeah. a thing that happens and he sort of yeah. strings her along even more which well that speaks uh, to, yeah, that speaks to the whole haze code thing you know as well as that you know what i said earlier about alcoholism i think if you're going to show alcohol in the haze era it's like you've got to make it bad you know and I, I think that he was he was shackled by some of those restrictions and for sure he this made is, them work this is almost like a reefer madness of for alcohol <laughs> that's kind of what just based on what i have learned from this book right. and like what has gone on in prohibition stereo mm-hmm. like or prohibition era um yeah for sure it reads the same yeah. fucking way mm-hmm. Yeah, let that be a lesson to you kids. If you drink booze, you're going to end up in a cage. You're going to die. Biting the heads off of chickens. 
So don't do it. Except they only bite the heads off of chickens in one of them. So, well then, uh, is there anything else on the cutting room floor that we need to bring up about this? I mean, I could talk for like six hours about this. <laughs> I know, I know. I, I think we've done a I good job. I think we need a part two after I read the book. Watch both movies. Oh, yeah, absolutely. absolutely. You have to. You have to watch both of them. And then when you're finished with that, watch Freaks. Yes, Todd Browning's. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, that's a good companion piece for uh, both of these movies. There's some, yeah. There are some great carny movies out there uh, to, to watch, and you, it's, it's almost like a subgenre of its own because there's so much strange, nightmarish imagery that goes with it. And then read Catherine Dunn's Geek Love. Well, then. Okay. I, 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 surprisingly enough, we've filled almost an entire hour with this chit-chat. Um, Joey, uh, thank you again for being on the show. I thoroughly enjoyed it, uh, um, as I always do. Please tell Love us. talking about movies. Do you have anything that you want to plug? Uh, buy my book. Which one? Uh, that one is called... Oh, there's two out there now. Uh, uh-huh. I co-edited uh, a anthology of cryptid stories available from Malarkey Books called uh, It Came From The Swamp. And I have a collection of my own short stories called... I have always been here before. Available from Cowboy Jamboree Press. There we go. Chelsea, anything you want to plug? Uh, just myself. I'm awesome. <laughs> Thanks. We can vouch for that. So, yeah, this is the podcast, Cinema Chop Shop. If you want to catch us online on any of the social medias, you can pretty much just do Cinema Chop Shop, and you'll find us. Same thing goes for email, cinemachopshop at gmail.com. And then if you want to watch an audio version of this, it might be on YouTube at Cinema Chop Shop Podcast. We hey, and also it. like at us at Twitter, Instagram, and email about what you liked from this, what you didn't like from this, what you want to see, what you don't want to see, that kind of thing. Let us know because we're still in we're yeah. still in beta. Yeah, I mean, this was kind of my idea of I like both of these movies. I wanted to do like a head-to-head compare contrast on a old film plus a remake, which kind of speaks to the original format of the show. Um, we can do that again, or we can go explore other venues. So let us know what you like and didn't like, and uh, and that's it. I mean, we're gonna try to be back in a couple of weeks with a new episode about a cursed film. Oh. Everybody, go to Shutter and subscribe because they have a great library. Not sponsored, but Shutter can sponsor us if they want to. Um, and watch the show Curse Films and look at the Twilight Zone episode because yeah, I think you'll be excited. Yeah, in a we're going to be weeks. talking about Twilight Zone the movie, the nineteen eighty. I don't remember two-ish release uh, produced by Steven Spielberg, directed by. Uh, Steven Spielberg, uh, John Landis, uh, George Miller, and Joe Dante. So we've got four little stories in there, plus a very horrible, tragic accident that happened. And we're going to talk about some of the fallout and aftermath of that. So please uh, tell your friends, tell your mom, and uh, you know, subscribe and tell everybody to like us and love us. And again, seriously, this is a work in progress in terms of our evolution. So please let us know what you think. And uh, from that, uh, we're just going to log off and do we want to say the thing i think you have to say the all thing. right well then please remember to watch chop retrofit and don't become a geek or a molly <laughs> don't do molly well i do kind of miss singing let's all go to the lobby i know right <laughs>